Oh, I have to say, the, we just sang those words. The, the words of that we just sang are true, are true to my life. That it rings true to who I am personally. Because we, we just sang, I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. That describes me. The love that God has shown us through the death and the burial and the resurrection of of Jesus Christ has personally given my life hope, peace, and, and ultimately purpose and meaning, and I know that many of you here in this room today can say the exact same thing because you've experienced it. You would say, I wandered through this life too, and I wandered through without answers, without direction, and without hope until one day something happened, something that changed everything, and the, the truth of an empty tomb became real to you. And when it did, when that truth sunk deep into your heart, your life has not been the same ever since. It can't be. But I'm also well aware that there are many of us in this room today, many of you who, who perhaps that has not become a reality yet. You haven't experienced that yet. Then perhaps you're here today and you're still kind of wandering through this life with some doubt and some fear and anxiety and maybe a, a lot of questions that that you're still wondering, questions around Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And if you're here today and that's you, I, I, I want you to know that I am glad that you are here. Whether you're here because it's a tradition or your husband or wife or kid made you come today, that's okay. I'm glad that you're here. This is a safe place for you to ask questions. Then I welcome you to ask questions. In fact, I want to show you that because I want to ask a question today that maybe many of you in this room are thinking or have thought in the past that we can address together. Then it has to do with Jesus being raised from the dead. So here's my question that I want to look at together with you today. If Easter is a celebration of Jesus rising from the dead, then how can we be sure that this actually even happened? Can we be sure that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened? Is there proof that this is a real thing? Or is this just some made-up story that we've passed along for year after year after year, generation after generation, that we just continue on today because it's fun? Is that it? And more importantly, why should I even care if the resurrection really happened or not? And so to answer these questions this morning... I want to look at a passage of Scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles or your phone apps, go ahead, get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And while you do, let me, let me just share something. This letter was written by Paul, and it was written to a Corinthian church, and this church had a lot of questions. Questions, honestly, just like you and I have today. And Paul loved this church. He loved them so much that he wrote to them multiple times. And each time he tried to address some of their questions, answer some of their questions that they may have had. And it just so happens that one of the questions that they were asking has to do with resurrection. 
And so here's what Paul says to them surrounding this topic in 1 Corinthians 15. Tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, he says. Your faith is useless. So, so this Corinthian church was questioning the resurrection of the dead. Now, they're not questioning the resurrection of Jesus, because we're told in verse 11 that they fully believed in the resurrection of Jesus. They're instead questioning the resurrection of Christians, of Christ followers, of, of you and me. And so in this chapter, Paul takes just a moment to, to answer some of these questions and some of these doubts by by showing them that, that they can have hope in a future resurrection of believers when Jesus Christ returns. And he does this by explaining to them the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, all that sounds complicated, so let me sum up. Basically, what Paul's saying is this. He's saying the entire truth of Christianity, that is everything we think, everything we believe, everything we act, every, the way we live, all of this entire truth of Christianity hinges on this one thing, the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Because listen, if he didn't, then this is a sham and a lie. And quite honestly, if he didn't, I'm hungry. We should go get some breakfast because it's not, it's not worth being here. But if he did rise from the grave, if he was indeed resurrected, then Christianity is not only true and believable, but, but it, it has a profound effect on our lives, both our life now and our life in the life to come. And so I, how I believe Paul does this in 1 Corinthians is he gives us a couple of different kinds of evidence for the resurrection that I want to look at with you today this morning. And the first kind of evidence that, that Paul gives us is evidence that we will call objective evidence. This is evidence that is unbiased, evidence that would stand true in a court of law. If you have been to court, then you know you need objective evidence to prove your case because it's true whether you like it or not. It's true whether you believe it or not. Objective evidence is true. But then Paul also gives us another kind of evidence. We call this subjective evidence. This is where there's legitimate stories of life change in people's lives where, where they can back the claim that Jesus Christ did in fact rise from the dead. And so we see both of these things being present in this letter that Paul's writing. So let's jump into this quickly. And he starts off by reminding them of the gospel. The gospel is a fancy word for the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and so Paul reminds them of this good news. He says this in verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as scripture said. He was buried he was raised from the dead, and on the third day, on the third day, just as Scripture said. So he reminds these people of this truth that Christ Jesus died, was buried, and rose again three days later. Now he knows that's not enough 
He needs to lay out some substantial objective evidence because, listen, this miracle of somebody raising from the dead, some guys just don't come alive every day from the dead. He knows he needs some proof to back this up. So he goes on to say this in verse 5. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have died. Now, if you're going to go prove something in a court of law, you need some eyewitnesses. You need people that can corroborate your your story, right? You need an alibi. Let me give you an example. If my dad came to me and said, hey, son, I caught a fish and it was this big, you'd go, yeah, right. Sure you did. Now, if my mom was in the boat and she said, no, I saw it, he really did, I might be more inclined to believe him. However, if there's 500 people standing on the shore all watching my dad catch a fish this big saying, yes, he did, we saw it, I would have no reason to believe that he was fibbing. it, It must be true. Two eyewitnesses in a court of law is more than enough, but 500? 500 witnesses, many of which Paul says are still alive. They could still tell you what they saw. Now, if this were a hoax, yeah, there's a few fanatics that could come together and they could make up a story and they could maybe pawn it off as true, but 500 plus people could never make up a story about a man coming back to life unless, unless it's true. Let me go on. If you're going to raise from the dead, wouldn't you want to show up to people that you know could back your claim? You would show up specifically to a group of people you know are going to support that you did this. So if that's true, then what do I do with this next verse Paul says? Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Look, James is key evidence here in this verse. Because did you know James is the half-brother of Jesus? Jesus had a brother. James. And and you could immediately think, well, of course your brother's going to back your claim. Of course, he's family. Family supports family. That might be your initial thought. But then what do I do with what John said about James in chapter 7 of his book, where he writes, even his own brothers did not believe in him. So here we have James, his own brother, that didn't initially believe that Jesus was all God. And if he didn't believe he was all God, then there's no way possible that he's going to believe that he raised from the dead until he saw Jesus with his own eyes. He saw him. And when he saw him, it changed him. And And not only did he become a believer in Jesus as God, but he became a leader of the church. He became a pillar. He penned a book of the Bible that we still read and is still changing lives today. In fact, he was martyred for his belief in his brother. Here's James, your brother. He, he went to death declaring what he saw to be true. Now, I don't know what your relationship's like with your siblings, but let me tell you this. If you can convince your brother that you are God and that he's willing to die declaring that as truth, then it it must be true, 
right? Let me share with you something else. Because uh, uh, he goes on to say this in his his book, in verse 8. Last of all, he says, As though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. He says, For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. This is Paul saying this. Paul's writing this to us. And, and, And Paul says, Look, Look, I don't believe in Jesus. I didn't believe in Jesus. In fact, he, he murdered Christ followers. He was a professional. He didn't have remorse, and he was good at it. This man was a professional killer, and he was good. He didn't believe in Jesus until, until he saw him with his own eyes. James saw him, and it changed him. Paul saw him. And it changed him. And once Paul saw Jesus, he went from being a murderer to a missionary. It changed him because when you see a dead person come back to life, it it changes everything. And, And so we see this. If showing up to 500 strangers wasn't enough, if showing up to an unbelieving brother wasn't enough, if showing up to a murderer wasn't enough, then then I think about this that we see in the book of Luke where it says the first people to show up to Jesus' empty tomb are women. Now you think, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, you have to think back to the culture of the Roman Jewish time here. Women didn't have a lot of credibility. In fact, women weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law at this time. They weren't credible enough. And I tell you this because there's an important detail. Because if you're going to make up a story about a resurrection, wouldn't you want people who were credible to back that story? Of course. You're not going to want women. You're going to want men to be a part of this story. So the fact here that he includes women in this story that they were the first people to see an empty tomb was proof was proof that he wasn't fabricating this story he's telling the truth and then and then i think about this the global movement of the church you know jesus as he's crucified the disciples they go from hiding so they don't die to 10 out of 12 of the disciples were killed for their belief in Jesus. Now, I tell you this, surely one of those guys is going to crack, right? Like, if you're going to be killed for this, surely one of those ten would go, hey, hey, it was fun, we were just kidding. But they didn't. Ten out of twelve died for their belief in the resurrection, and then thousands at a time, thousands joined in, and they came together, and they began to follow this this man called the way, Jesus. They they followed him, and the church grew, and it grew all the way 2,000 years later through persecution, through countries that banned Christianity, through all these obstacles, the church grew and grew. And now here we sit today at, at 1030 in the morning in Norwalk, Ohio, in this room together as Christ followers declaring together that Jesus Christ is alive. The church, it it, it grew. You know, I could give you more evidence, but 
I realized that giving you more and more evidence stops mattering after a while. Because I could give you all the evidence in the world, but unless that evidence begins to change us, begins to penetrate our hearts, begins to change who we are from the inside out, then it really doesn't mean a whole lot. And I think Paul understood this too, and that's why he gives us some subjective evidence. Listen to what Paul says next in his letter. Let's jump down to verse 21. He says, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ, this is the key, will be given new life. You see, if Jesus rose from the dead, then we are promised a new life. And this is life, yes, for eternity, just as Jesus is still alive, but, but it's also life here, life now, a life that's filled with hope, with peace, with promise, with, with, with meaning and purpose. It's a, and in this new life, we're going to have all the evidence we could ever need. In fact, last week we had a baptism service right up, right up here. We had a tank of water and some people took this step of baptism in which they declared their new life in Jesus Christ. They said, this is who I was, and then I met Jesus. And now this is who I am now. They're not the same person anymore. They are new. And they declare that over and over because when you've come in contact with someone like Jesus, you can't help but be changed. You become a new creation. And Paul tells us this. In fact, to this day, I love this, uh, this story of, of C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist, and he went from that to being an ardent Christ follower, and he laid out the story of how that happened. He told all the evidence that he found of the empty tomb, but at the end of the day, this is what C.S. Lewis said. He wrote this, I have no answers anymore, meaning all of the proof doesn't matter anymore. He says, all I have is the life that I lived. Because look, I might be able to answer some of your questions. And I might not be able to answer some of your questions. But I can offer you something so much better than questions. I can offer you me. My life. Because listen, I'll be, I'll be honest. I never wanted to be a pastor. In fact, I... I had a conversation with the Lord many years ago, and I, I told the Lord, I told him that I would never, ever work in a church. <laughs> I told him that because I wanted to go my own way. I turned my back on God, and I headed down a path that I pursued my own ambitions, I pursued my own dreams, I pursued my own direction, and what I wanted in life. This is my story. I said no to what God wanted for me. I said no. And yet, God pursued me. Sometimes he was gentle, sometimes not so subtle. But just as we talked about last week in Psalm 23, his goodness and his mercy continued to pursue me and chase after me and run after me 
all the days of my life. And, and, and when my eyes were finally opened to that goodness and that mercy that he was pursuing me with, when my eyes were finally opened to who Jesus was and what he has done and who he is in my life, when that happened, I became a man who was no longer condemned, but a man who was forgiven. I became a man who was no longer fearful, but one who was full of peace, one that no longer doubted, but, but one that was for sure, one that was no longer hopeless. I became hope-filled. I was no longer angry, but I had joy. I was no longer insecure, but I became so confident in what I saw. I saw Jesus, and I am not the, sta- the same man standing before you today that I was prior to giving my life to following him. And am I perfect? No, far from it. I'm flawed, I am mistaken, but I tell you, I am forgiven and I am whole, all because of an empty tomb. Jesus is alive. I've seen him. And, and, I, and I tell you this because I want to ask you this question today. If the resurrection happened, if the tomb is empty, if Jesus is alive, then what in the world are you going to do with that information? Are are you going to continue to to walk through this life the same as you always have? Are you going to continue to walk through this life unchanged? Or... Or will you embrace who you were made to be? Will you embrace saying yes to following Jesus? Will you embrace trusting in a God who could not be held by the grave, but instead instead is is risen to life? And, And who saw him? Paul, Peter, the disciples, two women, 500 plus people. And me, me, I hope that, that my life is proof enough because our Savior is risen today. He is not dead. He is alive. We've talked a lot about proof today, and here's the truth. The proof is right in front of you. Look at me, a human being through and through, messy and sin-prone since my first day, yet still God's love remains unhindered on my worst day. His friendship goes beyond just knowing my first name. He knows the hairs on my head, my every thought and fear. The words that I speak before they even meet my lips and the truth that I so desperately need to hear Yes, he speaks to me, gently, yet boldly, with encouragement and love. He walks with me, guiding my steps, holding my hand, correcting my detours. And in the moments when I steal the reins back, there is so much grace upon grace upon grace. This is the new life I lead. Still human, still messy, yet considered clean, and called into hope for eternity. Hope that starts now and works within me regenerating 
day by day and labeling me with a righteousness and purity that I could have never earned by myself. This is the new life I lead. And I hope it is so clear, clear to the world, to everyone who glances my way or stands behind me at the grocery store or whose cubicle shares a wall with mine, I hope it is so clear that I am living in God's promise. And I hope the same for you too. Think about it. What if you are the proof someone's been waiting for? What if you are the miracle someone's fiercely praying for? What if every moment is an open door to point them to the peace that they've never known before? And what if this example goes beyond words? As a common saying goes, I'm sure you've heard, that actions speak quite loudly, but we're called to boast. So boast in God in all things. Not just when things go right, but when things go wrong. When you mess up. When you feel like the worst example sees the opportunity before you. Wipe the sweat from your brow, dust the dirt from your knees, take a moment to cry and then breathe in deep and stand back up. And paint this picture instead. In your weakness, point to his incomparable strength. In your suffering, point to him who suffered for us. In your triumphs, praise the Lord and offer up thanks. In your failings, Pray, still praise the Lord and so build up a confident faith because your life is the perfect canvas for God to showcase his goodness. So live this new life with new promise. Be the proof. Father God, I pray for myself and for everyone here, God, that as we walk out of here, that we would be the living proof of the resurrection. God, more than historical facts, God, that we would be lives changed because you live. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Could you all do me a favor and stand back up? We're going to praise the Lord one more time this morning.